Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH. I'm Paul Bass, welcoming you to another of our weekly looks at what's happening at the grassroots underneath the mass media radar. That's right, that evil corporate media mass media, media radar in our communities and communities around the country through the lens of the C-Click Fix problem-solving website. Today, we have the pleasure of learning the skinny about the city of Roseville, Michigan from the city manager, Scott Adkins. C-Click Fixes, Caroline Smith and Nadine Herring, as always, are here in the studio with the latest Citizen Power news. And Margaret Lee of C-Click Fix is operating the social media hub, the center. It's all starting there, and I'm not even going to name all the social media platforms where you'll be able to find out what was, what's going on out of this very show. And I want to do a quick bill paying aside. Yale New Haven Hospital provided financial support for today's program. Thank you, Yale New Haven. Now, Caroline Smith, what's the latest news in Roseville, Michigan, not from those evil mega media conglomerates, but from C-Click Fix where the people speak? We have a pothole uh, that was reported at 26410 Bryan Street in Say Roseville, Michigan. True. <laughs> and the and the pothole is a bit of a, a doozy. Um, the reporter is Clue 79, 85 civic points. So it looks like it's one of the first issues they've reported. And the description, the pothole is the width of my driveway. Whoa. I, oh. Yes. I now have a hard time getting my garbage cans in because it's a step up to my driveway down. Whoa. So what happened if that person posted that? So it was viewed 33 times. Mm -hmm. um, and the city of Roseville hopped on that same day and said, the city of Roseville has assigned this issue to the Roseville Department uh, of Public Services. And then just that day or the next day, the Roseville Department of Public Services hops on and says, this hole has been filled by Roseville Department of Public Services and closed One the day. issue. One day. Scott Adkins, you're on phone with us from Roseville, Michigan, so you can't take a bow in the full <laughs> plain sight of all our listeners anyway. But welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much. So one day, is that the norm, Scott? Someone goes to see Click Fix, I got a big pothole, you're there the next day and you fill it in? Uh, yeah, I would say that one day is the norm. Actually, um, and I was sharing with Caroline, we have a, a unique situation here. Uh, we're a suburb community in the Detroit metro area, and our news media here actually started a program last year called the Pothole Pledge. And they went out to various municipalities and said, we would like you to commit to us by signing this construction barrel that you will repair potholes within 24 hours. So our mayor stepped up, accepted the pledge, and signed that. And the reason that we could do that, we felt confident, is because of the partnership with C-Click Fix. You know, we get these reports. If it comes in during regular work hours, uh, Monday through Friday, standard daytime hours, we're going to immediately dispatch a crew out uh, for the serious safety conditions, and then as soon as possible for what we'll call the routine potholes. But you know, pothole season in Michigan and anywhere in the in the Midwest or Northeast, as we know, can be uh, grueling. So for us, uh, 24 hours is is the max. But we really like to tackle those during the course of a regular workday, and then uh, immediately if it's an emergency. So you know, 24 hours, yeah. 12 hours, more likely. Well, Scott, now what about Sunday afternoon? You're having a pot roast or something with the whole family and all the crews are off. Do you really get there in 12 hours on Sunday? If, if we have an immediate safety issue, yeah, we'll be out there. As a matter of fact, in a matter of two hours or less for our uh -huh. dispatch time, we'll, we'll send an emergency crew out. Uh, if we have to, we'll, uh, you know, close a portion of the road or we'll barricade it off until the, the patching crew can get out there. But immediate safety concerns we take care of in about two hours or less, 
And then if it's something that really just needs a little bit of a uh, patch for the next day or so, we'll get a temporary fix and come back and make a more permanent fix within the next day. And what about, do you have too many of them? I mean, let's say, do you have hundreds of potholes? Can you really get to every pothole in that kind of time? Because in New Haven, we can't get to every pothole, period. Well, thank goodness we don't get hundreds of them that all pop up at the same time. But, you know, in what we would, you know, refer to as pothole season, you know, it is not uncommon for us to get uh, a dozen or two at one time. And uh, we will mobilize the crew. Like I said, we prioritize. We take care of the, uh, you know, the most priority safety issues first. And then when we're sending that crew out, we'll map uh, a whole chart for them based on what we have in front of us. Uh, you know, by request, and we'll we'll fill those all pretty much in in one fail swoop by going through and doing sections at a time. So, uh, pothole season for us is like a regular full time job for a, a crew of three. <laughs> it's a crew of three. Now, you mentioned patching. There, am I correct that there are two ways to approach a pothole? You can quickly throw some patch in so it's gone, but that's going to reappear soon. So you have to really fix it by putting in a a sturdier mix and taking a little more time. Is that correct? In many cases, uh, depending on, you know, the, the travel uh, counts on the road, if it's a heavily traveled road, then certainly the, the what we refer to as a cold patch will really only last for a short amount of time. It's a great temporary fix, but then we'll need to go back in, actually clean that pothole out, remove all the water and the other debris, and make a proper fix to be more permanent. But, uh, you know, if it's a, a less traveled road, sometimes just a general little asphalt uh, pothole patch could last for for a year or more. How long do you take to go from the cold on a real pothole and you're going within 24 hours or 12 hours? And by the way, congratulations on that. Do you get there soon after to make that permanent fix or is it not time because you're running around doing all the patches? You know, usually, again, uh, priority items, we're, we're right on top of it as soon as possible. The other items, we'll get out there, we'll assess it, we'll make sure that it's not a huge safety issue, and then schedule it. But, again, keeping in mind that, you know, at the max, the 24-hour for just the, the routine uh, small little pothole patch. Uh, and, we, and we work it into the crews. We literally assign, uh, you know, some crew members, usually three from our Department of Public Works, uh, to just do nothing but potholes, and it becomes a 7.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon job in, you know, the pothole season time in spring and usually in, uh, sometimes in fall to do this. But, again, we, we're fortunate we don't necessarily get hundreds. Uh, the majority of our streets within the city, our local streets and major trunk lines, are actually concrete. Uh, so they're a little more robust than asphalt. Uh, but, you know, you can have a pothole in any type of surface, and, uh, you know, it is an issue, and we don't want anybody to go and, and become injured or, you know, have any type of serious or expensive damage to their car. So it's important for us to be on top of this. And, and that crew of click fix is great. And that crew of three, do they do both the patches and the permanent, and there are enough breaks in the calls for the patches that they can get to those permanent ones? Yeah, there really is. Uh, the the three-person crew that's assigned usually will do just the patchwork, and then we'll take some other members of the Department of Public Services that will do a more comprehensive repair because it is more time-consuming. Uh, so usually, uh, you know, one crew is handling just the patching, and then we'll bring in a, an additional highway crew that will make a more permanent repair. And you're listening to C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH Radio. Our guest today is City Manager Scott Atkins of Roseville, Michigan. Nadine Herring, what else is going on in that burg? So the next issue is a problem that's familiar to those of us in New Haven who live in the downtown area. It has to do with construction work noise after 6 p.m. Mm. This was reported on 512 by guest Yvette Robinson. And the issue was reported on 30678 Little Mac Avenue. 
Meyer construction work causing disturbing noises after 11 p.m. The noise from the construction work is constantly waking my household as late as 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. So this was um, verified by a city of Rosewell official on the same day and assigned this issue to the Rosewell building department. And it was acknowledged again on the same day by the Roseville building department um, who thanked this person for reporting the code violation. And they will be sending this to their code officer for inspection. How much do we get of that, Scott? Are you, are you got people doing work all night and day there in Roseville? We, we usually don't. And in this particular case, we had a large uh, super center. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a grocery store, uh, you know, multi uh, use type of facility, and uh, they had requested permission from our city council. Generally, our work hours, we won't let people do construction work past 9 p.m. in the evening. Uh, they had requested a variance to be able to go until 11 p.m., which the city council granted. And, of course, then we get the uh, the issue that was posted from one of our residents that says, hey, you know, at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and we're having noise out here. So we acknowledge that. Uh, we sent someone out the same day from our uh, building department and code enforcement department to speak with the contractors. And what we found is it actually wasn't construction work that was uh, taking place here. The construction work was ending within the parameters that were set forth by the city. But because of the construction, there was a, uh, I guess, a rescheduling, we'll call it, of their delivery. So all of the merchandise was being delivered to the store that normally would have been delivered during daytime or early evening hours they scheduled to be delivered after 11 p.m. when construction had stopped. So we actually were having deliveries that were occurring at 2 and 3 in the morning. And What kind we of what were they delivering? Because well. we have those two, but those are usually the illicit variety. What are you having delivered at 2 or 3 a.m. in Roseville? Well, you know, this, this again, is a large chain store uh, in, in Michigan and actually in, in several states around Michigan. So they're getting their merchandise deliveries. It may be groceries. It may be hard-line items. You know, the semi-trucks are coming in. Whereas they normally would do an afternoon delivery with the construction, I think the contractor felt they were doing the right thing in the store management by saying, listen, we don't want to have too much truck traffic in here during construction. Why don't the deliveries happen after midnight? We'll get them in, and there won't be an issue. Well, anytime you're bringing a number of trucks in, and these are large semi-truck and trailers, they're backing up, they're into the loading docks, uh, it's residential adjacent to this, it was a problem. So we were able to address it with the management and get everybody on board. Uh, and, you know, again, if we hadn't been told by one of our residents, we might not have known that this was happening at night. You, you have a commercial area that's adjacent to residential. You have that normal traffic. So we're appreciative that somebody brought it to our knowledge. You know, it was luckily just one resident, but, you know, we could have had a whole neighborhood that was being disturbed here at 2 and 3 in the morning. So how did you fix it? Are they now backing up extra trucks and are people complaining about that? Yeah, you know, we actually uh, contacted the, the contractor and the uh, management of the store and, you know, asked them if they could please uh, look at trying to accommodate, uh, you know, the deliveries to occur in the afternoon as they were before. We knew it would have an impact on construction, but we couldn't allow that to happen overnight, uh, you know, that excessive noise. You know, we gave the variance for construction, but that didn't mean you shift your other activities to continue that noise. They're very helpful in, in understanding. Uh, they really hadn't thought about the issue, assuming that, well, you know, it's not banging of concrete or uh, building materials. You know, it's just trucks making delivery. Well, you know, at 2 or 3 in the morning and it's springtime, people are, you know, opening their windows, maybe trying to get a nice little evening breeze. Boy, that noise was right on top of them. But, you know, they were very helpful in understanding and, and curtailing the issue, you know, as soon as it was really brought to their attention. Did it create a new problem? Were there too many trucks in the afternoon? 
No, I really didn't because I think what they did is really started to look at uh, the logistical side of it to, you know, make a variation between their delivery schedules and try to work at, you know, getting with their trucking companies and their suppliers, because a lot of it is done actually by their corporation itself. So they could really schedule those and say, okay, instead of taking eight deliveries on a Monday, let's do four on a Monday, let's do four on Wednesday. So, so they staggered them. Yeah. yeah, logistically they work that out. And what, what chain is that? Uh, Meyer is the, is the chain store here. M-E-Y-E-R? Is that just like a Walmart or...? Uh, M-E-I-J-E-R, and it is, it's like a Walmart, uh, same type of superstore setup. They've, they're based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, but they're, you know, in about a five-state area through here. So it's one of the big chains. Uh, you know, they're probably the biggest competitor to the Walmart superstores, at least in the Michigan and surrounding state area. And I guess the big story, and this seemed to come into play here for stores like that, companies like that, is they've taken such advantage of information technology, real-time technology, that they've gotten quite good at scheduling deliveries, haven't they, and moving inventory and keeping track of it. I mean, I'm thinking after Hurricane Katrina that it was Walmart that was able to really organize effective mass deliveries and shipping of, uh, of goods, emergency goods, to that area more than the government. And I, I, it looks like in a little way it came in play here in Roseville. Yeah, we believe it certainly did. You know, the, the magic of... Uh, computers and assisting in logistics is just uh, awesome that they were able to, you know, with probably a few clicks of the mouse and a couple of different orders out, take care of this problem, and it really was rectified the, the same day it was reported. And with a few C-click fixes of the mouse, some people have been keeping you <laughs> in track of what they want you to do in Roseville. Caroline Smith, what else is going on there in C-click fix in Roseville? We have a kind of related issue, uh, a, sh- a rogue shopping cart issue, uh, still open, at 28780 uh, Grasho Avenue uh, in Roseville, Michigan. Uh, the reporter is Saw1988. Um, uh, the description, this issue is kind of citywide. Has anyone noticed all the shopping carts flipped over at the bus stops? This looks terrible driving down Grasho and the Mile Roads. Can some sort of action be done against the people removing these carts from the local establishments? That's a great one. Yeah, I know that some stores in New Haven you can't take the carts out of the uh, exactly out of the shopping out of the drive parking area. They have the big poles on them. Yeah. Yeah. What 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 about how's that being dealt with, Scott, in your city? It, it's kind of interesting that uh, you know for our community we're we're really one of the retail hubs within uh, you know within a three county region here. So most people in the area they do their shopping in Roseville because we have just about every type of shopping store that you can imagine. Uh, so when you take the number of, of retail establishments we have, and just about everyone has you know shopping carts now if they're any size or substance. Um, you know, we have local ordinances that, that restrict, you know, property being removed from the grocery stores or from the retail establishment. So it, it technically is an ordinance violation to take a cart off premises. However, the problem becomes policing it. You know, we're, we're a fairly good sized community and, uh, you know, you only have so many officers to go, you know, throughout the community. Primarily, they're looking at the more serious issues. So writing a violation to somebody taking a shopping cart is probably not on the top of their list, although they do make contact and try to provide some awareness and, you know, letting folks know, hey, you can't take the shopping cart, you know, out to the bus stop. So what we have, though, is we still have problems where folks, you know, when you have such a large number of retail establishments and we have a, a transit system that runs through the city, you know, folks that are going grocery shopping and getting five or six bags of groceries, they, they can't carry all of those. So they put them in the cart. You know, they're not really thinking that it's a, a you know an issue. They, they certainly aren't thinking that they're breaking the law or the local ordinance. And they're taking that cart to the bus stop. 
They're getting on the bus. They're leaving the cart. So it, it is a problem for us. Uh, you know, it's been a problem not just in our community but several communities. Uh, you know, anybody that has shopping facilities with grocery carts, these carts end up leaving the facility. Here, it becomes difficult for us to be able to put, you know, permanent barricades in because we know that they can just simply go in and out of a driveway or a point of egress with that cart. So we're working with the transit service and our Department of Public Works. Uh, the transit provider actually has a group, uh, they have a supervisor that goes out, they check the stops daily. If they get the carts, they pick up the carts, take them back to the establishment. We're working with management of letting them know, hey, if you've got some people out, you know, working on your staff that are collecting the carts from the parking lot and you see someone pushing one out and down the sidewalk, can you help us educate these folks to let them know that, you know, these can't leave the property? So, um, you know, the person that posted this, uh, one of our regular posters, they are spot on. It is a problem for us. Our public works folks are, you know, going out and they're picking up these carts. So we're swinging this to an educational standpoint to let people know. And uh, we're also working with the transit provider to see if they can relocate some of the stops that are actually closer to the larger retail establishments that will hopefully prevent the carts from going out of the parking lot and maybe creating what we'll call a cart corral adjacent to the transit stop. Does that so mean you can, want more stops closer to the store so people can carry? You know, it maybe is as simple as relocating. Uh, when we've had new businesses that have located, maybe the transit stop was farther down the road, but now the you know gathering point has shifted. So we're just working with them saying, hey, logistically, maybe you need to move this stop a block, or maybe it needs to be on the east side of the road instead of the west side of the road. And uh, that that is one way to kind of solve this, so getting those transit stops a little bit closer. And, um, you know, the other point is, again, trying to work with educating the public you know, hey, you just can't take these carts from here. There are other alternatives. Uh, you know, we, we offer uh, other type of commuter transportation that can get them from uh, the establishments by a, a smaller transit bus to the larger stop. So they may have to take a transfer. A lot of the educational pieces that happen here and educate the stores themselves so they can help provide the message because these carts have a value of a couple hundred dollars. Uh, so, you know, when they disappear, there's, there's a cost there. All right, so a hundred dollars to, to buy a cart each. Actually, they're they're more in the realm of uh, two hundred to three hundred dollars per grocery cart. I was kind of schooled wow. in this by one of our retailers, and I really didn't think that they were that expensive. But they are a specialized item. Wow. wow. So Nadine Herring, what else do you have? Other news items in Roseville that we can ask Scott Atkins about? <laughs> So it looks like Saw 1988 was busy because he reported this next issue. Um, this is, again, an issue known to New Haven, um, building in disrepair. This was reported on five, uh, I'm sorry, this was originally posted earlier um, in 2015. Um, and this was regarding the old Speedway station on the corner of 12 Mile and Utica Road. This building is in complete disrepair. Weeds all over and paint peeling all over the building. The building has been vacated for years. Can something be done about it? It is a complete eyesore for the city. So this was a, uh, verified by a city of Roseville official back in 2015, acknowledged again back in 2015. And it looks like the issue sat for a few months. Um, nothing really was done. And then it looks like earlier this month, um, so 1988 came back and said, I would like to commend the city for finally taking some action against this blighted property. Thank you. And this was, um, again, by a verified official from Roseville, a nuisance, 
statement was approved by the Roseville City Council and communication is continuing with the property owner to resolve this matter. So that was an excellent case mm -hmm. of an issue sitting for a while, mm -hmm. a citizen reporting it, being conscious of the fact that it may take a little bit, um, maybe goosing the issue a little bit, but being conscious of the fact that it is going to take a while for this to get resolved. Then the city taking action on that. And now it look like, looks like this issue is finally, finally going to get resolved. Sounds good. Anything else to add on that, Scott, and how you're dealing with that problem in general? Yeah, this this is an interesting one. Uh, this former former gas station is actually in a prime uh, travel corridor of our community. It's just outside of our downtown district, so it's very visible. And uh, it had been closed for a number of years. Of course, then started to fall into disrepair. Uh, there were some issues with some ground contamination because it was a former gas station. So interestingly enough that uh, when this was reported back in the fall of 15, uh, we started our process of making contact with the owner. This was a corporate store, though, so that makes it a little more difficult than just being able to go to a local owner. So you're having to deal with an out-of-state corporation. Uh, our ordinances are clear that we have to provide notification by certified mail. Uh, we have to you know, go through certain steps. So when it was reported in September of 15, we started that process of making the notification, and, uh, you know, it, it was terrible looking. I mean, the building in a prime corridor, paint's peeling off. Uh, so the interesting part in the time delay here is, of course, uh, about three weeks after initially reporting it, I think our reporter went back on and said, well, it's three weeks and nothing has happened. And then, of course, going through in December and saying, well, nothing is happening, looks terrible. Well, one of the lessons learned for us is in utilizing C-Click Fix, this is a great way to get this item brought to our attention. And we had been working on the process the whole time, However, we hadn't really been sharing all of those steps with the reporter. So now we've kind of addressed with staff that, hey, you know, most people don't really know the process or what's happening because what was happening all through this time frame is actually notices uh, to the owner, which, again, was a corporation, notifying them of what was being done, some interaction back and forth, and ultimately ended up going through and initiating a court process, which is very time-consuming. So one lesson that we learned is, again, we should probably try to give a little more updates because the general public, they don't understand the process, that it's just not as easy as saying, hey, there's a problem with this building, now fix it. You know, when you're dealing with a corporation, trying to find somebody who is accountable, you know, for the property management yeah. can be a task in itself. And then this was the winter time, so when you're looking at a need for paint on a building or those type of things, there was no way possible that they could do that type of work during the winter months. So we gave them a 90-day, uh, you know, I guess abatement period uh, where we would not have any action until the weather broke. And, of course, right after the first of the year here when the weather got a little bit better, um, you know, March roughly, uh, they, they came back in, they did the work. Uh, we still follow through with our, our court action just to make sure that everyone is uh, doing what they should be doing. But it was very interesting of how it was reported, and the perception is nothing is happening, but there was so much actually happening behind the scenes and through the legal process that, uh, you know, we, we've learned from this as well. Share that information with the general public because I don't think everyone really uh, even has an idea of how much you have to go through to get a legal nuisance abatement through a court system. It's very time-consuming. And then do you have those evil creatures called limited liability corporations or LLCs in your state where people easily just hide who's really in charge? They have some lawyer down as agent. You can never track them down. We do have that. And in this case, we were dealing with, uh, again, a nationwide uh, you know, gas, gas, gas station retailer who was not based in Michigan, 
So not only do you have a factor of a corporation, but you've got so many layers of who does this get routed to? Is it going to the uh, the office in Chicago? Does it need to go to Dallas? Uh, so, you know, it's it's kind of chasing around and herding cats, so to speak. You know, there are so many different directions. How can you get one piece in check? Uh, because you just don't, you know, you don't know all the intricacies of, of who is handling which portion. So we finally uh, kind of made the crossroad here, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's – a lengthy process, but certainly something that uh, is frustrating when you drive past this building every day and you go, geez, there's just nothing happening here. But that corporation, really, you know, that corporation will learn that it is no match for C-Click Fixes, Grassroots Power, and the city of Roseville, <laughs> Michigan. Because that's what we're talking about today on C-Click Fix Radio on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. We're talking about C-Click Fix Radio in Roseville, Michigan with city manager Scott Atkins. Scott, we have a couple more minutes. We're going to have you listen to some of the issues that people in New Haven are reporting on C Click Fix Radio and see if they ring any bell with what you're tackling there. You got a couple minutes to hang with us? I will be glad to hang with you, and I am sure that we're going to have a lot of similarities. Uh, <laughs> we already that, do here. That are, yes, are right here in our neighborhood and in yours as well. <laughs> so who's next up? Is it Caroline or Nadine? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take this. So we have an illegal dumping issue, uh, lost cargo. Uh, at 415 Orange Street, which is near my my home, um, uh, the reporter is skeptical. Me, which is the name of my next album cover. Um, <laughs> they, or is, uh, it, is it a follow up to Despicable Me? Yes, <laughs> sequel. Um, uh, they have uh, 2,375 civic points, uh, city fixer level, and so it's a it's a picture of a uh, some um, big long vinyl siding. In the description, this stack of 15 foot long vinyl siding was lost in the intersection of Orange and Trumbull Streets uh, as the truck made its turn. Whoa, it did not stop. that's a busy intersection. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. And get this, Skeptical, Skeptical Me reports that two people, maybe maybe Skeptical Me themselves, uh, helped move it out of the roadway onto the sidewalk before any harm could be done. And the truck driver didn't stop? No. no. So they, now, Roseville, you talked about this is the land of retail heaven, according to Scott, that you have so many stores there that everyone comes there to shop there. Is stuff falling off the trucks there, and are C-Click Fix people on your back about it? You know, we, we get the same type of issues. Um, you know, we had an issue last year where uh, someone lost a, a portion of a load on a delivery. And, uh, of course, we get calls to the police department. But, you know, afterwards, there's still items that are left over. C-Click Fix was great to be able to get, you know, some of the extra routing to our other departments. So we share that with, with uh, many others. All right. Nadine Herring, got another one for us before we bid goodbye. I do. This is a hot button issue in the city regarding parking in the hill section of New Haven. Oh, um, yeah. Watch out. Regarding a parking violation in abandoned auto. Um, this was reported earlier this year. Parking is allowed on only one side of this block. In addition, there is parking too close to the stop sign continuously. These cars should be checked for valid insurance and registration as well as driver's licenses. I'm sure they will not have all three. So that was reported by Hill for now. And then there were some comments um, along the line where transportation, traffic and parking, the supervisor actually jumped in and said, thank you for the post. An officer was dispatched to the area to ticket all vehicles find, found in violation. And although I, he was closing the issue at that time, he, he said that he would continue to patrol the area. Um, the resident said, thank you for the issue, for fixing the issue. And then Another commenter said, thank that resident who initially reported the problem and said, way to go, Hill, for now. Keep up the good work. And thanks to New Haven Traffic and Parking for um, 
fixing the issue as well. That's how you get it done. So not only was an, a citizen responsible for initially reporting the issue, city jumped in, mm-hmm. fixed the issue. And then another citizen chimed in and said, thanks to that initial citizen who reported it as well as the city. You know, we hear so much about the, and there it's an accurate problem about comments on websites. Seeker fix has the best comments because you talk about real problems that are start small and you, and the people who go on talk about them in a broader way. Mm-hmm. Then when you get the public officials in the mix, you're solving a bigger problem here. Mm-hmm. And I think this is sort of the positive promise of the democratization of the internet. We know about all the other negative uh, outcomes of it. But how about you, Scott? What are you experiencing on this kind of issue with the cars too close to the stop signs and going on the wrong side of the street perpetually? We actually get a fair share of uh, reports through C-Click Fix dealing with parking issues as well. Uh, so we have some of the same issues that are reported in this case. Uh, we just had one not too long ago uh, that was dealing with an obstruction of uh, driveways. So, you know, again, when we're trying to look at covering the city, your police department isn't able to see everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eyes and ears on the street are the best. And if we have that information, we can work to resolve it. So we really appreciate when those issues come in so we can get somebody out there and, uh, you know, really take care of the problem because we may not know about it if it, if, if it wasn't reported. The eyes and the ears are the best on C-Click Fix Radio. And it sounds like they're keeping Roseville, Michigan in good shape with the help of city manager Scott Atkins. Scott, thanks so much for coming on C-Click Fix. By the way, you know you're born for radio, right? I mean, when you're talking about retail <laughs> there and all the stores, I felt like I was ready to pull out my credit card and my uh, passport and head over there. Well, Destination Roseville, that's what it's all about. So any time I can get a plug in, I'm glad. But thank you for letting me participate this morning. I really do appreciate it as well. Yeah, thank you for participating. Thanks for listening to us, folks, on Dateline New Haven's C-Click Fix Radio. Thanks to Caroline Smith, Nadine Herring, and social media maven Margaret Lee (laughs) getting the word out this morning. Thanks to Yale New Haven Hospital for providing financial support for today's program. We're going to take it out with Afro-Semitic Experience performing Eliyahu Hanavi from the group's 2002 CD, This is the Afro-Semitic Experience. And this is Paul Bass hoping you kill it today and avoid roadkill. Chill with us here all day and night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, for more local talk and music. (laughs) 